Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. There's several scriptures passages this morning, and they're concerned with providing a basic foundational knowledge of God to both the Jewish and the Gentiles. The first scripture is from the ancient text of Exodus 3, 13 to 15, but it's strange. Moses has fled Egypt into the desert. He encounters a burning bush and is confounded to learn he is actually facing the Almighty God. What happens? God tells Moses he's to return to Egypt. Moses is completely stunned. He doesn't want to follow the directive. Imperiously, Moses gets the audacity to ask not one, but two questions of God. Now, the first question is in the previous verse 11, which is, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the the Israelites out of Egypt? God responded, I will be with you. He didn't answer the question. Now we're ready to start verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now the second scripture reading is from Psalms 19:1 through 4 and in this David is enthralled with God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Now, if you are able, would you please rise for readings from the New Testament. This is from Acts, chapter 17, 24 through 28. Acts was written by the educated Luke. This section introduces God to Gentiles who are considered to be pagans. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and be marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from anyone of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, the fourth bit of scripture is from a letter. 1 John 4, 7 through 13. Now, by the way, the writer of this letter did not provide his name. I'm guessing he did not need to as everyone knew it was to be, it was John, the disciple most loved and thus closest to Jesus himself. He is now elderly and probably living in Ephesus. It was written to support new Christian believers in developing communities who had never met Jesus as he had. And it continues the theme of God and love. It begins, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because... God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. 
Not that we, we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and understanding of his word. You may be seated. And... Thank you, Doug, for sharing. Uh, it's important to know context, is it not? To know where, where things are written and why things are written. I'm going to invite you to recite something with me. It's in your bulletin. It is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and since we are beginning this series on We Believe, I thought maybe it would be good for us to, to state with our own voices what we believe. And so I encourage you to recite this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious and almighty God, God, I ask that, that you would send your spirit of, of understanding, that we would truly hear you speak this morning, whether that we've already heard that through songs, through, through meditations, through prayers, through scripture, or whether it, whether it is here in this time. God, I ask that the words that I speak would no longer be my own, but that they would be your words for your people. God, your message for your people. All this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so welcome to the beginning of our worship series, We Believe. You know, I'm happy to have the opportunity to share with some of you the core beliefs of Christian faith and how the United Methodist Church views them as well. So during this, this series, we're going to take a look at six different themes and how the great tradition of the church has tackled them, as well as our founder, John Wesley. Now, I want to encourage you, as I, as I do each and every week, to make sure that you have your, your bulletins handy with your compass guides, because it does have those spaces in there where, where you can take notes. It also has those questions for you for this upcoming week, so that in your 15 minutes of alone time with God, you may reflect on those questions. 
And you may jot down some reflections that you have. And so I hope that you will truly take some time this week to reflect on what this topic of one God means and strive to answer the questions that that I have given you. Now, don't worry if you don't study. Uh, There won't be a test on them next week. Or will there? (laughs) Well, so as we did, we're going to begin each of our sermon times during this series reciting that Apostles' Creed uh, as it holds our foundational beliefs as Christians. Some of you may have already had this memorized uh, from maybe when you were a child. Others, others know it, just not from memory, while some of you might not have ever heard the Apostles' Creed before. You see, we all come to this building or to, to the worship service online from, from different backgrounds, from different levels of knowledge uh, within the church, uh, and different knowledge of Scripture, different depths in our faith and our relationship with God. And so I hope that through this series, we can learn something together. That what we talk about here, while it may be a review for for some of you, will help us to renew our knowledge in core beliefs and our relationship with our Creator. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, a statement which much of our lives, uh, in which much of our lives as Christians is founded upon. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But how do we get to this place? How do we make this statement? More importantly, how can we, sure that we be sure that we do truly believe in God? In God, the Father Almighty. In order to show how this is foundational, not only for the Christian faith, but also for us as United Methodists, we can look into our wonderful book called the Book of Discipline. You probably thought, man, I didn't go to church to hear the Book of Discipline. Uh, But it's structured that way from the very beginning. Even in that book, it may not be just this whole book of rules and, and things like that. There is a lot of life in that book. You see, John Wesley was an Anglican priest and from the, uh, and from the Anglican church in, in England. He adopted the articles of religion which are still part of our heritage and are found in our doctrinal standards, which is in our book of discipline. And so I want to read just a, a very brief portion of that for you. Uh, Article 1 is what I want to read for you today. And Article 1 is, uh, is this, of faith in the Holy Trinity. And it says this, There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there are three persons, one of one substance, power, and eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That is in our book of discipline. That is one of our foundational beliefs as United Methodists. The most basic belief that we have is this triune God, the Holy Trinity, our one God, three persons. 
You see, even though we talk about God as being the Trinity or the three-in-one God, it all comes down to one God. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are seen throughout Scripture and in the activity all around us in the world, even before creation. We see it in the creation story. You hear these words, in the beginning, God created And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. All of these formed the Trinity. The triune God. Throughout history, in Scripture and in the great tradition of the church, even in our world today, we never see one acting without the other. You see, in their activity, they perform this little dance, is the way I've heard it expressed. Uh, There's a theological term for it. I don't expect you to remember this, but maybe you will. It's called perichoresis. Perichoresis is this This beautiful dance where the Trinity is always acting with other parts of the Trinity, never isolated. Uh, Let me put it this way. For those of you who have watched The Shack, if you watch The Shack out there, I mean, I I think a lot of people have, uh, you might remember a certain scene in the kitchen where they were all involved in Mac's life. They may have been doing different things at different times there, but they were not doing them independently of each other. It was this beautiful little dance. The relationship that the Trinity shows us through Scripture and our experiences displays how God wants our relationships to be, both with God and with others. Yes, the Trinity is is one of the hardest concepts to explain. All too often we rely on analogies to try to explain it, but they all seem to fall short. You might remember I had, uh, I had, had a uh, Ask a Pastor Sunday one time, and, uh, and somebody asked the question. They said, how would you explain the Trinity to somebody who's not a Christian? And my answer surprised them. <laughs> might surprise you too if you don't remember what I said. My response to them was, I wouldn't. We have a hard enough time trying to understand it. Why would I try to explain it to somebody who's just at the front doorstep? Maybe, as we have said, out on the front porch of that that wonderful thing called provenient grace. Why confuse them right up front? Welcome them in. And then get get to explain that. But that's also, I mean, it's true with us trying to explain who God is. Our language is not advanced enough to truly speak about God and about all that this being is. Even the most eloquent of writers and speakers, the most knowledgeable of scholars, have a difficult time when it comes to explaining God. It is probably easier to describe what God is not than what God is or who God is. However, Let's give it a shot. Let's discuss who God is. Let's discuss who God is for each and every one of us. Jesus, you see, asked many questions 
uh, and he, you know, as far as talking to different people. And, and one of the questions that came up was, who do you say that I am? So let's ask that today. Who do you say God is? Who is God to you? What are some of those words? Okay, so it's, it's congregation participation time. What are some of those words? I, yeah, you know, sometimes I ask questions and you go, yeah, but he's not really asking me, is he? Yes, I am. Today, I want to know. What are some of those words? Just kind of shout them out. Whatever you got. Creator of all things. Love. What was that? Father. Healer. Emmanuel. Oop, I didn't catch that one. Almighty. Hmm? Happiness. Everything. Yeah. I realized as I said that, and I wanted you to shout things out, and it's like, I can't hear you. <laughs> but maybe you could hear each other as you're yelling them out. Any, any others? What was that? Comforter. Oh, yeah. There are so many words that we can use. So many words that we that can use for God, and we heard some of those, creator, uh, what about sustainer, judge? I'm surprised you didn't say that, Dave. Uh, <laughs> sovereign, what was that? Leader, okay. Love, I heard. Warrior, protector, shepherd. But you see, words fall short. I mean, we try, we try to come up with these big, eloquent words and, and these grand concepts of who God is, but they always seem to fall short. John Wesley, in his sermons and notes, gave his view of attributes of God. And so I want to give you the ones that, uh, that John Wesley had mentioned. And some of these are, have already been spoken. Eternal. Omnipotent. Omnipresence, omniscience, holiness, wisdom, trinity, and love. But, but as I said before, I mean, words will always fail. They always fall short. Our language, regardless of what language that happens to be, uh, is limited to what we can know here on this earth. And again, it will always be easier for us to say who God is not than who God is. But it's a good start to realize that there are so many different attributes to God. And you each have one. You probably have one in your mind right now. And that is who God needs to be for you right at this moment in time. I'm going to go back to the shack for a moment. Because one of the pieces that I absolutely love about that, I know there's there are people that absolutely love that movie and that book. There are others that absolutely find it a theological mess. But there is a beautiful piece in that. And what I'm referring to is you remember the time when Mac experiences God on the way to forgive the ladybug killer. When he first meets God, it's uh, Octavia Spencer, 
I believe is her name, uh, and she's cooking in the kitchen. This motherly figure. That is who he needed at that moment in time. When he was going down that path to go confront his feelings and the, and the need of forgiveness for, for his daughter's killer, he needed somebody else. He still needed God, but he needed this other portrait of God. And so each one of you this morning has an image of who God is for you today, who you need God to be. And I bet when we go across the hall for refreshments afterwards and you have that conversation, I bet you'll find out that other people have far different views of attributes this morning for who God is. We need God at a particular time in our life. And sometimes that's different from others. So now before I let you go this morning, I want to touch briefly on the topic of how we know God how we acquire all of this knowledge that we are talking about this morning. John Wesley believed that we can know God through four different areas. You might have heard me talk about this before. They are scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Albert Outler, who is an author and a theologian and a a Wesley historian, coined this term called the quadrilateral. Yes, and every time I say that, I always have to start looking around for Dan and for Gary and (laughs) all those math people, uh, geometry things going on. The quadrilateral for all of these four areas. So if we see the four corners of a quadrilateral, they represent these four topics, these four terms that scripture, tradition, reason, and experience It's through these four that we can know God as well as everything else in our Christian lives. But this morning, we'll just focus on one God. For Wesley, Scripture was primary, as it is for many others in the church. Everything needs to return to the Bible, as this is where God has expressed himself throughout history. All other areas should line up with Scripture. Otherwise, we risk inserting ourselves in the place of God. Tradition refers back to the great tradition of the church, back to the beginnings with the apostles, the apostolic fathers, the first century writers painstakingly addressed many things, including the assembly of the books of the Bible that we know and the creeds like the one that we had just read. But you see, back around 300, the church faced a dilemma. And the dilemma was an early theologian came up with a different belief of Jesus Christ. It was known as the Arian controversy, and what it did was it put into question the divinity of Christ. Arian couldn't see how Jesus Christ could be the same as God, so the Trinity didn't make sense to him. The Council of Nicaea was formed in 300, or around 300, to discuss this heretical thought, and and through an incredibly difficult council... I mean, you think about some of our church council meetings and other meetings, and those are nothing compared to what the Council of Nicaea went through. Uh, They threw out Arian's belief. They even took it a step further by creating the Nicene Creed. And this creed describes in much greater detail Jesus Christ and his relationship with God and the Trinity. Here's what it says. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. 
We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. That kind of gets a little more specific, trying to shape what our beliefs are in that creed. There is, there's a lot more to that creed, and we're going to get into it another day, but but could you, exp- you hear that explanation of who Jesus Christ is in that creed? Could you hear what the Council of Nicaea was trying to defend? They were trying to defend the true Trinity, the triune God. They were trying to explain that Jesus Christ was not some being that God created, but that he was from the very beginning. The Gospel of John tells us that what tells us that when he says that the Word of God was with God and the Word was God. Just one example of how the great traditions of the church have formed our understanding of God. And there are many others, including Martin Luther's claim of justification through faith, not works. Much of what we have in our churches today has come through the traditions which follow along with Scripture. Another way that we can know God is through our own individual experiences. These may be times when you have felt close to God, maybe even heard him calling out to you. I, you know, I actually appeal to this quite often in, in small group studies because I want to hear your experiences. I want to hear your discussion about who God is and about this Christian life because we learn from each other. Sometimes I guess we could call this baggage as we bring things from our past to the table for discussion. Because our experiences are important. They help shape who we are and what we believe in. And they certainly shape our view of God. And finally, Wesley, believing, believe that our reasoning is another way of gaining knowledge of God. You see, we have been given this gift of a mind. And we should use it. We can use our intellectual reasoning to discern the knowledge of God. Many times this is done through quiet meditation or reflection on Scripture, but, but also reflection on our experiences and our views of some of the church traditions. All four points are needed to gain knowledge of not only God, but so many other things in our lives. We need to use this quadrilateral thinking as we explore where God is calling each of us individually and as journey of hope. But I want to leave you with, with a final concept that I heard in my first year of seminary, and I think I have an image. Uh, I'm hoping that, I, that it's up there. Uh, it's, it's of a tetrahedron. You see, the quadrilateral never really made sense to me. Because when you looked at a quadrilateral, it was just this flat rectangle, which meant that if you put Scripture in the upper left-hand corner, then whatever you put in the lower right-hand corner does not directly connect to Scripture. You'd have to go through one of the others. I know it's just a visual thing, but this is how my brain works. So a tetrahedron works so much better because you can put Scripture at the top. And then at the bottom, you can put your your, uh, reasoning, your experience, and your traditions of the church. All three of those connect back to Scripture because Scripture is primary. Scripture is the inspired Word of God. We're going to go over that in a few weeks as we talk about that core belief. But but I wanted to leave you with that image to, to know that Scripture is there, but everything else is connected. 
to that Scripture. That's how we understand who God is through all of those ways. And so I want you to reflect on that throughout this week of who God is for you. Who God is for you today, who God is for you each and every day of this next week. And maybe in your little notes, if you've got a journal or something, you could just jot down that one word of who you, got, who you need God to be for you that particular day is. So you can go back and look at it again. Because some days it's going to be, I need, I need God as a comforter. I need God to comfort me. I need God as a leader. I need God as somebody who knows all things. Maybe I need God as a warrior to fight for me because we are in a spiritual battle. How is it that you need God for you today? Will you pray with me? Gracious and almighty God, God, we thank you for speaking to us today, giving us those words that, that always seem to fall short, but God, we are trying to Describe who you are. Help us to truly understand that through Scripture, through the great traditions of the church, through our own individual experiences, and through our reasoning. Help us to know you better. God, all this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to go forth from this place, go forth knowing the triune God covers you at all times. And know that God reveals God's self to you in just the way you need it just at that time. And so go, knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it goes with you always. Amen.